All right, we ready to go into part three of Elements? All right, okay. Here's the big idea for this series. If you haven't been here, and you can catch it on SoundCloud, or we're now on iTunes, actually go to our website, because this is one of those series that, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to catch the whole big picture. But here's the bottom line is, it starts with a question. What, what would your life look like if you had crazy faith? Like, what would your life look, look, life look like if you had unshakable, undaunted faith in the, in the face of circumstances that seem out of control, circumstances that are beyond what you can understand? What if in those you just believe, man, God has a plan, God will even leverage my hurt and my pain for a better future, like I can trust him? Like, what, what would it look like if you had the kind of faith where some of you have been inhibited by your past? You've been kind of hemmed in by insecurity, and you are willing to move beyond that, move beyond your fear, and just go, God, whatever you're calling me to do, I'm going to believe you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to believe who you say I am, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to initiate, I'm going to love those who really don't deserve for me to love them, I'm going to forgive those who don't really deserve my forgiveness. But what if you had the kind of faith where when things are great, it's not going to lead you off the rails, when the bottom drops out, you're going to continue to remain faithful and trust God? that you are going to move forward believing that God really does have a divine destiny for your life if you're his child? Like, what if your life was characterized by that kind of death-defying, doesn't matter the circumstance, out of the box, I believe God kind of faith? Like, what, what if that characterized your life? And that sounds, as we've said, a little over the top, but here's the bottom line as you look at the scripture. That's what God's inviting you into. Like, that's the invitation for every single follower of Jesus that more than anything else, God wants to grow your faith, your confidence, and your trust in Him. And you've met some people like that maybe at some point along the way. And isn't it true, as we've said, you look at their lives and you feel like you need to give them more information to shake them back into reality, right? Like, I don't think you know what's going on. I don't think you understand the circumstances. I don't under, think you understand how dire it is because they're just in the middle of whatever going, well, I'm just trusting God. I just believe God. I'm moving forward with God. I'm like, no, no, no. I think you're naive, man. Like, what, what, what's wrong with you? But the reality is in the scriptures, that kind of faith is available. That kind of not where you're disconnected from reality, but in every circumstance, you just believe God. You have confidence that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do everything he's promised to do, and he is a part of a big agenda for the world, and you get to be a part of it. Like, what would your life look like with that kind of faith? That's where God wants to take you. And so I don't know, like, what your background with the church has been. I don't know how other people have displayed Jesus for you, but this really is the thing. The invitation by Jesus was not, hey, do these nine things. Here's the evil I want you to avoid. Here's the sin I want you to rid your life of. I mean, that's not the main goal. What Jesus wants more than anything else, because all of those other things will follow, is he wants you to trust him. He wants you to walk by faith. As I've said, like my kid can be obedient but not trust me. Trust is always better. And so Jesus, when he entered planet Earth, that was his number one mission because this whole thing, the separation between God and man, it happened over the issue of trust. God placed a tree in the Garden of Eden and is like, I'm going to create one rule so you know that submission to God is good. Adam and Eve couldn't help themselves. And at the root of their disobedience was, I think we might be missing out. 
I think God might be holding out on us. I don't know if we can trust God. And through their distrust, sin entered the world and fractured the relationship between God and man. And so when Jesus came, he said, listen, just like the relationship was fractured over trust, it is put back together over the issue of trust. And when you place your faith and trust in Christ, it is a lifelong journey that you would grow in faith above everything else to believe me, to trust me, to have confidence in me, and to walk by faith. That's what I want for your life above everything else. Obedience will follow. I want your trust. I want your confidence in me. And here's the reality. The deeper your trust in any relationship, I mean, what makes a good relationship, regardless of who it is, is trust. The deeper the trust, the deeper the relationship, the greater the intimacy that happens. God's number one goal, maybe if you walked away from the church because of something that was packaged that Jesus isn't offering, God's number one goal is to invite you into a relationship based on trust. It's all about relationship. So in this series, we're just asking really this big question under all those questions, and that is, how do you get that kind of faith? Like, how do you grow that kind of faith? How does God produce that in your life? And here's what you'll find if you've been with us, is that if you sit down and listen to anybody's story of massive, like, beyond me kind of faith, there's basically five elements that show up that God used to produce that faith. And these aren't a to-do list, because several of these you can't even do. They are, as you are aware of how God works throughout the scriptures, and as you position your life, and as you're aware of what he wants to use, God will leverage these things to move you beyond your faith and where your faith currently is to grow your confidence in him. And so here are the five things, or the five elements real quick, that God uses. We started last week talking about providential relationships. Nobody's story of big faith involves just you and God. It involves other people. And then... Personal ministry is the second thing which we'll talk about. And then number three, skip on ahead, number three is private disciplines. That somewhere along the way when somebody's faith story is told, it's because they learned how to understand, they learn how to read the scriptures, they learn how to pray at a personal level. And then number four, it involves practical teaching. If your faith has ever grown, you probably have a story of at some point along the way, somebody actually taught this in a way that you actually understood it and were willing to go do stuff. And then finally, and don't miss the final week of these series, pivotal circumstances. If your faith is going to grow big, generally it's going to involve some big events, positive or negative. Maybe some things that you would never choose. And as you're aware of what God wants to do in those circumstances, God can move you on the other side of those circumstances and actually grow up and blow up your faith. So these are the five elements we're looking at. We just started with the first one last week. Today, I want to talk about this personal ministry. Then in everybody's story of growing faith in God, it's going to involve this. And what I mean by personal ministry is at some point along the way, you're going to look around and you're going to go, what is God up to in the world? Like God's kingdom agenda coming down and confronting the kingdom of darkness in this world to go, God is doing something on planet earth and I want to be a part of that. At some point, it's going to involve maybe something stirring in your heart where you need to volunteer. You need to move in the direction of somebody, maybe in a neighborhood or in your city. You need to move toward this need that needs met, and you feel like you're the person that needs to to meet that need. You're going to volunteer to go somewhere. You're going to volunteer to have a conversation. You're going to volunteer to get involved in an organization. But at some point along the way, and I'm just telling you, just ask people, if you know anybody with growing faith where you look at them and go, man, I want that kind of confidence in God, it involves this right here. 
And generally the first step maybe is not that intimidating, but here's the warning, and you should just know this, that at some point along the way, and this is really what I want to talk about, God's going to lead you to take a step that is beyond you. You're overwhelmed, you're underqualified, you don't have it in you, you're not smart enough, you don't know enough theology, you don't have enough skill, your IQ is not what you think it needs to be, you're a little bit socially awkward, I don't know what your deal is, but at some point along the way, God is going to ask you to take a step that you really don't have it in you to accomplish. And it's in those moments where we feel the angst, like it needs to be done, or I need to do it, or God's asking me to take a step and get involved. It's in those moments where we're willing to step into all the uncertainty, all the, I don't think I can accomplish it. I don't know what's going to happen on the other side, but we feel God's asking us to do it. It's on the other side of that, that God begins to grow our faith in a very unique way. And here's what I tell you a lot of times for, for these these needs, these, this angst that rises up inside of us, it feels like a moral imperative. And what I mean by that is it feels like somebody needs to get involved. Somebody needs to do this, or I need to do this. And at some point, God's going to call you. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to be straight up, God's already calling you. There's some things that you need to step into in regard to personal ministry, and the uncomfortableness may be over time, it may be over lack of experience, it may be over lack of knowledge, but he's asking you to move forward, and as you move forward to get involved in what he's doing around you, again, your faith ultimately is going to begin to grow. Can I just say this real quick? I'm going to. For some of you, maybe for a lot of you, if you're online you're in the house where it gets uncomfortable, is that you're in a place right now where you've been resisting God over some need, over some thing that he's pushing you to do, and, and you know it's him. You know that that prompting is, it's not you, it's not just your conscience, but you've been resisting for a long time. You just won't quite move out to take that step for whatever reason. And here's what you need to know. The issue is not how you're going to impact somebody else. The issue is not the benefit that somebody else is going to receive. Come on, can we just come around this idea? God doesn't need you or me. He's going to do his thing and keep rolling with or without us. We get invited to play a part. The issue almost always is not what it's going to do in the life of somebody else. It's what it's going to do in you. It's what it's going to do at the level of your faith. And our resistance where God's calling us is not what somebody else is not going to receive. It's the fact that your faith is never going to really grow the way God wants it to grow. And God is calling us to step out. And here's what we've said throughout this series, and I want to dive into the scriptures. We just need to get around this idea, guys. I'm going to say it every week of the series till we're done. God is not calling us simply into this journey of ridding our lives of sin and avoiding evil. He is calling us to move out, walk by faith, do good, push back darkness, help and minister to the marginalized move into the church to be a megaphone for the gospel of hope and forgiveness found in Jesus. And it's not about us gathering together and patting ourselves on the back for our moral conformity. It's about, God, what are you doing in the world around me and what do you want me to do? And I'm willing to step out and walk by faith. I'm willing to do it. And you are going to experience growing faith to the level or the proportion that you're willing to go, God, what are you doing? Where are you prompting me? What do you want me to do? I don't have all the answers. I feel underqualified and overwhelmed, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it's in that moment, and it's in that circumstances, and it's in those seasons that God begins to do something at the level of your confidence and your faith that I'm telling you, it doesn't happen any other way. 
So one of the best examples of this is one of the most familiar. And if you've been around church three minutes, you've probably heard this before, but I just want you to track with me all the way to the end. Jesus, in this historical narrative, is with his guys, and he kind of unearths this tension. This tension of God's calling me to do something I can't really do it. I feel overwhelmed, but I know I need to do it anyway. And just that tension of stepping out into the unknown. And so in this narrative, Jesus kind of brings this to the surface for all of us. When he's calling you to do something that's uncomfortable, but on the other side of that uncomfortable is where you're going to find growing faith. Now, here's what I want to say real quick. If you're skeptical, cynical, I love that you're here. People like that in our house and online every single weekend is don't get sidetracked by the miracles in this story. This isn't really even the point. In fact, you can relate to this tension that I'm going to talk about, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. And here's where you need to lean in if you are sincerely investigating. Not did Jesus, you know, make a blind man see. Did Jesus walk out of a grave alive? That's what everything hinges on. Our faith, this may be shocking to you, doesn't even hinge on the Bible. It does doesn't hinge on, you know, did Jesus do some of these miracles? It hinges on, did Jesus walk out of a grave alive? And if he did in history, it validates everything he said about himself. Like you can take everything else at face value, because if a dude comes back to life, just believe that guy regardless of what he says, right? Like he can be trusted. So here's where the story picks up, Matthew 14, verse 13. Are you guys with me? Here's where Jesus unearths this tension for all of us. It picks up Matthew 14, 13. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to see this. If you can download version on your phone, it's free real quick. That would be amazing. NIV version. Um, if you've got a physical Bible, it's about halfway through. So here's where it picks up. When Jesus heard what had happened, pause real quick. What had happened was um, John the Baptist called out Herod for marrying his sister, and so John the Baptist is like, you can't do that, and that's just wrong, and you don't live in Plant City. And so we, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. That was inappropriate. When, and I said I wasn't going to say it, and then I said it anyway. When Jesus heard what had happened about this whole thing of marrying his sister, he beheaded John the Baptist, and he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And then verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I love this, he had compassion. Just real quick, this isn't part of the message, but you should just know it. If you want to be compassionate toward the things in Jesus and toward the people that Jesus is most compassionate about, stop praying about it. Just go be near them proximity always breeds compassion. Every time you see the word Jesus being moved by compassion in a different way, you see the word crowds associated with it everywhere in the New Testament. When Jesus was closest to the need, he was most moved by compassion, and you're wired the same way. And he went on and healed their sick, and in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that we, I mean, so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food to eat. So this is basically the disciples kind of looking out for themselves. Like, man, these people have traveled a long way. They're hungry, and they need to go away. And so do we to get some food and to rest. And so we, we need to you know, send them away so that they can get some food and get replenished. It's been a long, long day. And so verse 16, this is where it gets personal for us. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And you know the story, right? But Jesus turns to these guys who at this point have not had a great track record and says there's thousands, I mean, there's 5,000 men, which, which means there's more than 5,000 there. They've been there all day. They're getting 
they're getting, as Jay says, hangry. I mean, it's like this all could turn in an instant. And so the disciples are like, we need to do something. And Jesus turns to these guys, a small group of them, and says, I know, you, you do something. And here's where the tension for them mirrors the tension in our own lives, where there's something that we feel like needs to be done, but it's beyond us. I don't know what that is. Like you take a step and all of a sudden, once you take a step, have you ever found this to be true? Then there's like another step. You can just kind of get deeper and deeper into whatever that thing is. And you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep going down this road. This, this is not me. This is beyond me. This is beyond my skill set. Like, what is that for you? Like, like, what is that? See, the thing is when God is asking us to take a step in many cases, what's difficult is you know you. You know where you lack skill. You know where you're insecure, but you hide it really well. You know where, I'm just not sure I have the knowledge to do this. You know some of the stories from your past that you've never shared anybody with anybody that you think disqualifies you. You know the fact that you don't have enough experience. So like, what is that for you? And so Jesus looks at these guys who are in way over their head. They don't have the skill. They don't have the ability to do it. And yet he says to them, and he introduces this tension, no, I know there's a need. You're the answer to that need. And then they look at Jesus. And here's the thing. If you're face-to-face with Jesus, you can't just tell Jesus no. you got to make excuses. So you're like, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, meaning like we're not prepared. We don't have what it takes. Logistically, we can't pull this off. We don't have the resources. Like it's just way beyond us. And you read the story and you're like, no, it is. Like, Jesus, come on. It's way beyond us. And then verse 18, Jesus rolls his eyes. Bring them here to me, meaning, bring me, next slide, bring me what you have. Bring me whatever you have. Well, I, like, I just don't really have the education. All right, what do you have? Well, I got two years of junior college. Just bring me your two years of junior college. Well, I don't really have the skill set I think that's necessary. Okay, well, just, just bring me what skills you do have. Well, I'm not sure if I have the knowledge. I can barely find Matthew. It's embarrassing. Okay, just bring me the knowledge that, that you already possess. Well, I'm not sure I have the IQ. Okay, just, just bring what you've got. Well, you don't know my story of my past. And I mean, if I were to step into something like this, I mean, that story gets me. Okay, just bring me the story you have. You might be surprised at what I can do with that story. But come on, J- this is Jesus' invitation to these guys. It's his invitation to us. Just bring me what you have. What do you have? What do you have? In fact, what you have is maybe the thing that's keeping you from taking the step, but it may be the very thing that God wants to use and God wants to leverage. And so he says, verse 19, he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And I love this. And then he gave them to the disciples. So he gives them a value size meal, like it's a single serving size. And I'm imagining they're facing the crowd, and Jesus hands it to them, and they're like, what do you want us to do with this? Are they still behind me? Because, like, if I eat this or if I turn around with, like, there's going to be a mob, there's going to be a riot. Like, thank you for the two loaves and, or the five loaves and the two fish, but what am I going to do with this? And you know what they did? You know this already, but you know what they did? They did exactly what they knew how to do. They couldn't feed 5,000 people. 
They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the finances. This is a nomad group of, of guys that don't have a lot to offer, but they knew how to turn around and take the single serving size and just serve who was in front of them. And that's the only thing they knew how to do. And the thing that they did in this moment when they are overwhelmed, when they are underqualified, where they don't have what it takes, the capacity is not in them. The only thing that they could do is exactly what they knew how to do. And the disciples gave them to the people. They did what they knew that they could do, and they trusted Jesus to do what they could never do. They just did in that moment exactly what they knew that they could do, and they trusted Jesus to do what they could never do. And I don't think they had any idea what was on the other side of that. Here's the reality. You need to pay attention to the angst. There's a step, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a nudge, there's a prodding, and, and I'm guaranteeing you, if you're not feeling it now, you will. Just start taking steps, and eventually the steps will get bigger. At some point along the way, you're going to be confronted with something where you just don't have it in you, but you feel like God is really leading me in this direction, and in that moment... In that angst, in that uncomfortable nature, the only thing that you can do is doing exactly what you know to do. And when you do, your faith, in many cases, begins to grow. Come on, isn't this true for me and for you? Is that sometimes we spend our entire lives running from the very things that God is trying to push us toward. Isn't this true for some of you and others? Maybe you'll find this is true. That oftentimes the doors that God wants to use the most are the doors that we are most hesitant to walk through. But on the other side of walking through them, we meet Jesus most profoundly. At some level, and here's Jesus' point, if you want your faith to grow, you've got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. There has to be some moments where you keep taking steps. You're like, well, that was easy. I can volunteer to do that. I can do that. And all of a sudden, you're confronted with something. And at that moment, you have to see that overwhelmed, underqualified feeling as Jesus' invitation to go, I want to grow your faith. I want to grow your trust. I want you to have full and complete confidence in me. And so they all ate and were satisfied, verse 20. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And then do you know what the disciples didn't do at this point? They didn't get done with this whole deal where, are you kidding me? These thousands of people just got fed and it started with five loaves and two fish. They didn't get to the end of that and go, dang it, we should start a catering business. Can you imagine the profit margins? Can, I mean, we can get Jesus on our side. Can you imagine how this is going to explode in Jerusalem? This is incredible. No, I'm not going to get on the other side. This is what happens every time you take a step knowing that you are in over your head and then God meets you there and does something beyond you. When you get to that moment, the thing is not about what God has done. The thing is not about the miracle. The thing is not about what has been accomplished. The thing becomes all about God in that moment. I'm telling you, there are some moments of taking a step of faith when God's asking you to, where you experience the presence of God and the reality that he knows my name. He's involved in my life in a way that you're never going to get from a Bible study. 
You're never going to get it as much as I'm a fan of reading the scriptures, and we're going to talk about that next week. You're never going to get it in that moment. It is only in the uncomfortable of God, you're calling me, and I'm stepping into it, and then I watch Jesus meet me on the other side, that you are assured of your relationship with him and the fact that he is with you in every circumstance. Your faith begins to grow. And isn't this true? Some of you will attest to this, is that when you are willing to just take the steps that you know that you can do in front of you and that God does what you could never do, God has a way of taking those steps and then multiplying the miracle and doing what you could have never imagined. And so moving into verse 22, here's where Jesus is at at this point. His whole agenda is growing faith for these guys. So he's got these disciples in front of him, and he's like, I'm about to start this movement called the church, and these are the guys, for better or for worse, uh, up until this point, their track record has been less than stellar, but these are the guys that are going to lead this movement, meaning I have to grow and blow up their faith. This is my primary agenda. And so here's what he says next immediately, meaning these events are connected. This is Jesus moving into growing faith 201 to lead his disciples where he wants to get them, knowing what's ahead for them. And so immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Again, you know this. And they go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And come on, how hard was that? You just fed all these guys, you just healed them, and they're like, now you can go home. I think they're like, no, actually, we're just going to hang out with you for a while. But somehow he gets them to leave. In verse 23, after he dismissed them, he went on to a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. In verse 24, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so here you have the disciples, and Jesus goes to pray, and they get into a boat, and Jesus is like, I'll meet you. And they're a ways away from the shoreline, and they're in the midst of an incredible storm. And this is what these guys do for a living. I mean, this is their profession. They've been here before. But they're in the middle of this thing, and they, they, there's nowhere they can go. They can't get the boat to move. They know they're out of options. And so they're in the middle, a considerable ways from the shore, and during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And just real quick, because this is always, if you're, it's skeptical, if you're investigating this whole thing, events like this throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, validate the fact that it's true. Because the guys that wrote the historical narrative of Jesus' life write themselves in most of the time as morons. Like, if you're trying to get somebody to believe in this movement, and these guys are soon to be the leaders of this movement, you're going to create some kind of story of, man, we just knew all along. We were in the middle of the storm, but we just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people. So come on, what do we have to be afraid of? And then we saw a guy coming across the lake, and immediately we knew it was him. And in fact, we started to chant, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, it was incredible. Like, we knew it. No, you don't ever find those stories. You find a bunch of dudes who are constantly bewildered, confused, terrified, and afraid. Because they were constantly bewildered, confused, terrified, and afraid. They did what anybody would do when you see somebody walking across the water, regardless of whether they just found or fed 5,000 people. And so, verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me. Do not be afraid. And I think it's in this moment, and I'm just guessing, but... Peter starts to connect the dots. I think it's at this moment where Peter starts to realize, I think Jesus has an agenda. Because come on, Jesus is a smart guy. 
He knew when he turned around and gave us a lunch that there is no way we had it in us to feed 5,000 people. And he knows that where we're at right now, there is no way out of this. I, I think Jesus has a bigger story, a bigger agenda, something bigger that he is trying to accomplish. And I think I know what it is that if we move forward to do whatever he asks us to do, and as we do whatever we can in the moment, he will do what we could never do on the other side. I think that's what God's trying to do. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do because there is no way we can do any of the things that he's asking us to do. So I think his agenda is just, guys, just do what you know you can do and then trust me with everything that you can't do. So verse 28, I love this. This is Peter. Lord, if it's you, and I sure as heck hope it is, Otherwise, if a guy's walking across the water and I don't know him, I'm probably going to die. Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I love this. Because Peter's not ready to just jump into the water and like, I just believe Jesus is going to catch me. A lot of things have been done in the name of faith when it was really stupidity. Here's what Peter understood. Jesus, I need an invitation from you. So invite me. I, like, I've seen enough that I, I want to do whatever you tell me to do. I, I want you to do whatever you ask me to do. So, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Just give me an invitation because that's what I need. I'm not going to do it just I'm running into something where there's no prompting. You're not asking me to do it, and I just believe you're going to catch me on the other side. No, no, I want you to lead me. I want you to give me an invitation. But if you give me the invitation, if you tell me what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And so, again, you know the story. Verse 29, Jesus says, come. And Peter got out of the boat. I feel like we should stop and just sing oceans for a second. But we're not going to. Walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He did exactly what he did at the feeding of the 5,000. I have no ability to feed 5,000 people. I can just feed who's in front of me. And I have no ability to walk on water. But I know how to get out of a boat, and I know how to walk. And so I'm just going to do what I know to do. See, here, here this is the thing. Like, what, what if this intersected with your life in such a way where you just began to pray prayers like Peter? God, invite me out of my comfort zone. God, what are you doing, and what do you want me specifically to do? But what... What are you calling me to? Where do you want me to move out of what is comfortable? What is just, it's just safe. What do you want me to do? God, invite me. What if you began to pray that? Here's what we said at our one event. To quote Craig Rochelle, comfort zones are easy to stay in because they're comfortable, not because they're healthy. And it, as regards to your faith, when you pursue simply being comfortable in your faith journey, you will negate what is healthy. You will negate what is best. You will literally war against what God wants to do at the level of your faith. So what if you just took the whatever the next step is that you know you can do and then trusted God with what you couldn't do? What if you began to move toward that thing where you were so insecure, so overwhelmed, so underqualified and just believed, God, I'm going to trust you to do what I could never do? What would that mean? for you? Here's where it gets uncomfortable. There's a bunch of you you already know. What would that mean for you? Step into something where you just feel completely underqualified, 
Go have a conversation and think about starting that thing in your neighborhood that needs to be started. And you're waiting on somebody else and you're praying prayers. And you're like, God, God, I'm just a prayer warrior. God's going, no, no, I want you to do it. That area where you just step in to lead a group of people who desperately want to grow in their faith. And you have something to offer, but you are so inhibited by your fear. It's that organization that there is an angst and a need and there's compassion that rises up within you. And you hide behind, I don't have enough time or it's going to cost too much. And God's going, man, I just want you to move out. I want you to take a step. I want you to volunteer. I want you to be the answer to your own prayer. What if you just started praying, God, invite me. Invite me out of my comfort zone. Move me beyond where I'm at. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, at at this moment, here's what this is saying. When, When Peter was keenly aware of all that he couldn't do, when there started to be a headwind, can I just say this real quick? I'm going to move on. That when God invites you into something just because there's a headwind moving in your direction doesn't mean that God's not in it. In fact, sometimes it is confirmation that God's in it. And there Peter is, and, and man, everything starts stirring, and he realizes all that he is incapable of doing, and he was afraid, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, and he says this, and this is so powerful, you of little faith, because that's my whole agenda. I want to grow, and I want to move your faith, and I want to do something in you and through you where your confidence in me is unshakable. I want to grow your faith. Peter, this whole issue is an issue of faith. And then he said, this is Jesus to Peter, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt? It's personal. This is not a list of stop doing these 12 things and simply avoid evil and rid your life of sin. This is a movement based on faith. It's relationship. I want intimacy with you. I want you to follow me. I want you to be willing to step out into this incredible adventure that is following Jesus, believing that, come on, I raise the dead. I calm storms. I feed thousands of people with a value meal. I will do whatever you need me to do whenever you need me to do it. I'm just asking for your trust and your confidence in me. Peter, it's personal. This is a relationship. Why did you doubt me? Come on, man. And just real quick, next line is is the the boat begins to calm down and and everything begins to succumb. And this is the point where we kind of want to throw shade at Peter. But let's just stop and pause for a second. There's at least 10 guys who never got out of the boat. There's at least 10 guys who never even stepped in the direction of Jesus. And I think, maybe this is the, like the father in me, I think Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you are so close. <laughs> You're so close. You are the one person who is willing to step out. Like You're moving in that direction. And I want to do something in and through that little bit of faith because here's what Jesus knew, that this cowering guy by the name of Peter who would get a lot wrong would eventually come to the place to have full confidence and trust in God that would move him to the place to be one of the greatest church planners in the history of the world and give up his life for what he said he believed in Saul. And in this moment, Jesus is going, Peter, what I want more than anything else, I just want you to trust me and I want you to go all the way. Verse 32, when they climbed into the boat, and I would have loved to have been there for this conversation, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. 
Like we suspected it before. When you fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, but now we know you're the son of God. Because we were willing to step and we were way in over our head, but it's in those moments where we're willing to step and we're overwhelmed and we're underqualified and we don't have what it takes that in that moment when our little bit of faith intersects with God's faithfulness, come on, isn't this true? God becomes personal. And God becomes more real than he's ever going to become in any other area of your faith journey because it requires you to do something in such a way that the only way to accomplish it, the only way to make it through it, the only way to hang on is by his power, it's by his spirit working through you, it's by his sustaining and strengthening grace. And when you experience that in your life, knowing that you couldn't have done that on your own, I'm telling you, it's in those moments that your relationship with your Savior becomes undeniable, and it's in those moments that your faith and your confidence grows to where the circumstances of your life stop moving you in one direction or of the other because you have already experienced the reality of your Savior walking with you into things that you never could have accomplished on your own. And Jesus says to you and to me, that's what I want for your life. I want to grow your faith and your confidence so what do you need to do? What is the step you need to take? And will you trust me to take it? Here's what I know. That if you have experienced growing faith or you've experienced like moving in your journey of trust with Jesus even here, you've experienced that and you've benefited from other people who've been willing to step out of the boat. Like I even think just personally when we started Center Point Church and there was a very small group of people and there was absolutely no money and we had a couple months and a vision and a strategy statement and a need that we felt like needed met in our community to reach people who are far from God, people who are skeptical and cynical, but be able to do it right alongside 40-year followers of Jesus where Jesus is the lead story and it's accessible and welcoming to everybody and the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything. And there was a small group of people who I feel like almost literally got out of the boat to go, Jesus, if you're going to do this, it's got to be all you because we don't have it in us. And God's moved in the hearts of a lot of people because of those few people willing to step out of a boat. Some of you last year to go, man, we're going to plant a campus in Wesley Chapel and we don't know what's on the other side and it's going to be a journey and we're going to have to learn a lot along the way, but there is no doubt God's opening the door and so we're going to step into the water because we have faith and confidence that God is who he says he is and he's going to do everything he promised to do. There's, there's some of you that, man, your kids are benefiting from a small group, and you look at maybe your student who's 15 or your kid that's seven and thinks, man, those people must have some kind of special gift of faith and patience, but some kind of special gift of faith to just move into that and be able to answer those questions and walk with those kids. It's so intimidating, and the reality is they don't have any special gift of faith. They stepped into something, a lot of cases, that was scary. They were in over their heads, and their only reason was this angst and passion of, I want them to have what I didn't have, and maybe I have a story, maybe I have a past, and I don't have a lot of theological information, but I have willingness, and I'm going to step in, and Jesus, I need you to do this because I am in way over my head. And I'm telling you, some of those people have had had the greatest impact that any of us have had, an impact that multi-generationally is going to move families. And it all started with a step. 
You've benefited. You've benefited from people like Jim Cardosa who stepped out to say, I'm going to lead a community group and I don't really know enough and I've never done anything like this before. I've spent my entire life in military, but I just feel like God's calling me to do this. And he took the step and I'm telling you, God has worked in an incredible way through his life in the years that he's led in community. There's partner organizations all over our lobby. And for a lot of those partner organizations, they started because somebody felt in angst, something needed to be done. It felt like a moral imperative to move in the direction of people who needed help. And finally, they realized, I'm that person. I'm the initiator. I'm the person who needs to step out. And God has moved and worked through them and those organizations in extraordinary ways. And sometimes it's, I don't think I can do this. Other times it's, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can find the time. I don't know how I can fit this in. But Jesus, you are doing some things around me on planet Earth, and I want to be a part of this, and I want to believe you, and I want my faith to grow. So I'm in, and I'm going to take the step. So what is the step for you? And here's what I tell you, and I'm going to finish in just a second. Just do what is in front of you. Generally, as God begins to grow your faith, it's not by some initial massive crazy step. It's just taking the next step that you know that's in front of you in terms of what God's doing around you, and then he will lead you from there. In some cases, he will begin to infuse passion for things that you didn't think you'd ever be passionate about. So here's the two things that I know from the scripture is God's called you to serve, if you're a Jesus follower, within your local church. So you need to find a local church. If it's not here, you need to go somewhere and find one. If you're watching online, you need to find a local church that you believe in and trumps and magnifies the message and hope found in Jesus. But you need to find a local community, and you just need to get involved where you feel called or where there is a need. You need to invest in students. You need to invest in teenagers. You need to tear away barriers on a first impression team. You need to serve behind the scenes. You just need to take a step in terms of what God's doing in your city and your neighborhood through the the local church, which is God's plan A for people finding forgiveness and restoration in Jesus, and you just need to get a part. Like, well, I don't know if I can do all. Oh, you can fill out a card. You can get more information. You can fill out a form online. You can take a step and then allow God to begin to take it from there, but you need to get involved in your local community, your local church somewhere. And then the second thing is you need to get involved in your city. We do something here called Serve the City, and so today we even have our 10 partner organizations all over the lobby, and we have liaisons within our gatherings that partner and come alongside those ministries all year long to find needs, to update them on our website. We've given money away to them. We're pushing volunteers to go and serve in them because the church was never relegated to be within four walls. Is that true? Give me old school amen, because I just like it. I like to know you're with me. We have been called to go be redeemers and restorers in our city. We've been called to go to the marginalized and help meet needs. We've been called to go to those who can't get food on their own and feed the hungry. We've been called to do good for those who can't and maybe won't ever do anything good for us. And so one of the things even in our community groups is we don't want to just sit in a circle and study the Bible. One thing we we get our community groups to do is partner with a local organization. And as part of your community, go serve. Go move toward the marginalized. Go feed the hungry. But that is God's will for your life, whether you want to engage in it or not. You need to find a place to serve in your local community. It'll look different at different seasons of your life. And you need to serve your local church. And it all starts with a step. Well, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have enough time. Here's what you know you can do. You can fill out a Serve Our City card near you on one of your chairs. You can go by a table and you can get some more information. You can have a conversation with somebody. You can fill out a form on our website. Just take 
a step. And here's my promise, eventually, on the other side of one or two or three of those steps, and you should just know this, God eventually will confront you with something that's way beyond what you were able to do. And that's the moment where you need to begin to realize and position yourself to go, okay, I remember. (laughs) This is what God wants to leverage and use in my life to take me to a different place in regard to my confidence in him. See, at some point, God's going to ask you to take a step, and it's going to be scary. And I just want to tell you, that's the point. Where do you feel overwhelmed? Where do you feel underqualified? Where do you feel like you don't have enough time? Where do you feel like your IQ is not enough? Where do you feel like you don't have enough experience? Where do you feel like you have too much of a past? Would you just be willing to bring all of that and go, Jesus, here's what I got. And I'm just willing to take a step, and it's scary, and I'm insecure, but I've heard that that's the place where you begin to grow my faith. Could, could we just come around this as just taking a step to do what you know that you can do and then trust God with what you can never do? And come on, here's the truth, and many of you have begun to experience this, is God will empower you and God will clarify for you in the midst of your step of faith, never beforehand. In fact, I would say it this way, that God operates on a need-to-have basis. He is not going to give you what you need until you need it. Come on, your step of faith always precedes God's direction. Your step of faith always precedes God's empowering. If you are waiting to have God bankroll all that you're going to need to do whatever he's calling you to do, you will never do it. God meets you on a need-to-have basis. It is the journey of faith. It is what he called the Israelites to do. It's what he called the disciples to do. It's what he's calling you to do. So whatever that thing is, if you want to have clarity about what's ahead for the future, take the step. If you want God's supernatural, spirit-filled empowering to do what you could never do, he will not give it to you on this side of your step of faith. It is only in the midst of or the other side of your step of faith that God empowers you to do what you need to do and clarifies for you what you need to do moving forward. It only happens as you step because God is all about growing your faith and your confidence in him. So would you just do what you know you can do and trust God to do what you could never do? And in the tension where you are scared and you are fearful and you are insecure, that is an invitation for God to do something in a way it's not going to happen any other way because the greater the faith and trust, the greater the relationship and the deeper your intimacy with him. So until you're willing to step into what God is doing around you through your local church and your local community and allow God to move from there, you will never know what God would have done through you. And for some of us, we spend our entire lives running from the very circumstances or things that God is actually pushing us toward because he wants to grow your faith. And when you take a step where you are overwhelmed and underqualified and you watch your little bit of faith intersect with God's faithfulness, I said this before, but it's so true. That is the moment you understand God knows my name and he is with me. And this really is a personal relationship. And I can trust him in every circumstance. But you will not experience that on this side of taking the step of faith that God's asking you to take. So will you do what you know you can do? And will you trust God to do what you could never do? Because you have no idea for you, for the people around you, for our community, for our city, you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We pray this every week, but we mean it. Would you give us wisdom to know what to do? And then would you give us courage 
and boldness that we don't have on our own to actually do it. Move people to take steps to volunteer, to serve our city with partner organizations, to leave our city, to start something in their neighborhood, to engage in a conversation. And God, through this series, our hope is that for us personally and even as a gathering, you would begin to do something at the level of our confidence in you that would rock the city around us. And so, God, our eyes are on you. We are positioning ourselves to just ask you to invite us out of our comfort zone. And then we're believing that you will give us the courage to take that step, whatever that step is. And so do your thing in the hearts and lives of people all over this place. And we ask this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen.